0: Well, good Um, morning, and um, it's good to worship together in this way. Uh, One of the, I did want to highlight, I think on the screen it said our volleyball is at 7.30, but I think it's at 7, our announcement's at 7, so uh, tonight it's at 7 p.m., um, just so if you were going to come, just to clarify that, all right? Well, it's good to worship together and um, to be with everyone here. if you've been going through um, this um, series in Jer- um, in Joshua, you've picked up a lot of things, and it's starting to sound somewhat familiar. Um, it almost sounds um, like, oh, yeah, you know, there are some names that are familiar, and now it's happening, and we see what's going on, and it's an interesting um, section we're in. Really, this is the probably one of the most popular, if not the most popular, um, story in the Bible that we... have Learn in Sunday school, and we talk about the walls of Jericho come tumbling down, and uh, we've seen that often. You now, I think this in chapter six, what we see here is a continuation of um, what has been happening in chapter five. So, the angel of the Lord that has come and was talking to Joshua outside of Jericho is continuing the discussion. And God himself is now telling um, Joshua about what to do. Now, this is something where you go somewhere expecting something, um, and it's very different than what you expect, right? And so uh, Joshua is expecting a war, strategy, how to get in and infiltrate the city. And what he gets here is not a war of what he expects, but the war ends up being a place of worship. Ark of the Covenant and the priests are going to go first. And they're going to do nothing for six days. And we know the story, and they're going to march around. And this ends up being very different than what he had expected. And um, this whole story here, it's interesting. When you read this, um, it's hard to say, well, we have to now learn to be like Joshua in these examples. Because the main story here is about God and what God has done. And this story makes it just that much evident that it was all God. And we've all had um, times in our lives where we say, boy, this was really all God. You know, all God healing us or God helping me or God providing. And this is really, there's no other way to look at it. You read the story, you say, this was really God. And when they tell the story to their next generation of kids, they'll have to say, well, it was, it was just God. Um, there was no strategies and right ways and lessons. It was just God. God did this. It wasn't Joshua's technique. It wasn't the way they did things. It was just God. And what we see here in this story, you know, is um, a lesson about who God is. And today, that's what we want to focus on as a reminder about how God is great and faithful and with us. And that's the, the picture we see here in this, you know, the, the breakdown of this whole chapter You know, verse 1 through 5 is the instruction from God to Joshua. And Joshua is just in a listening posture. And he's just telling him what you're going to do. Each day you're going to take a group of people, seven priests, seven ram's horns, and they're going to march around with the Ark of the Covenant. And they're going to blow the horns. And then on the seventh day... um, they're going to go around seven times. And on the seventh time, you're going to let out a shout and the walls will come down. Um, you know, the number seven. Um, scholars, will, you look in the Bible and there's a, it keeps pointing to the seven days of creation where it was completed. It's a number that represents holiness or completion or perfection. You know, the number six you know, or the six six six, the number of uh, being short, of incomplete, falling short, um, the number that represents us, but whereas God is seven, so we see some of that here, right? That it was intentionally uh, seven priests, it was intentionally seven days and seven times on the seventh day, um, and it's showing it was ultimately God's work, as it points back to the creation story, right? That the seventh day He rested. Right? And so we, we see um, some of that there. But what we see is in the first part is uh, the instruction and then verse six and on, we see now the execution of God's plan. They do it exactly as he says. And then the last part, 22 to 27, is now God saving Rahab and God now um, being with Joshua, right? And it's kind of a closure in, in a personal way. So it kind of goes from a personal instruction To uh, the big story and then back to this one-on-one, right, at the end. Um, The lessons we get from here, and the the three lessons are really about who God is versus what we do, right? It's not so much about, okay, here's technique number one, technique number two. Especially in this story, um, the story is, okay, here is God and this is who God is. And let's take a moment and remember who he is. Number one we see is that God is great, right? God is great. God is greater than, and you could fill in the blank. And this was the lesson here. God is great, right? That God is greater than whatever they're going to face. And can we say that out loud? Just say God is great. One, two, three. God is great, okay? We have to um, say that over and over. When things go well, God is greater than all the good things in our lives, all the pleasures, When things go bad, God is still greater than all the hardships that we face. When things don't go our way, God is still greater than our little lives. And so it's a picture of God is great. God is greater than the opposition. God is greater than anything ahead of us. The first few verses in Joshua 6, it says this, verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out and none uh, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. So here's the picture Jericho shut, the, the gate is closed. No one could go out, no one could come in. Not all, so there's a picture of the wall of Jericho, it keeps everyone out. And not only that, here is a picture we have. He says, I'm going to give you Jericho. So God is saying, I'm bigger than, I'm greater than Jericho, and I'm going to give you the king of Jericho. And I'm going to give you not only the king, but the the infamous mighty men of valor that's going to be there protecting the king. I'm going to give you all of that. Now the mighty men of valor that's mentioned here, they have a specific uh, recognition here because of their reputation. I mean, these were like the Green Berets. These were the experts. These were the ones trained to protect the king and fight. Even them. I'll give that to you. So God is painting a picture where he is greater than the city. The city, you know, uh, scholars will tell us it wasn't a big city. You know, it takes probably about an hour to do their march each day. Um, So maybe if you could picture the UC Irvine campus and you walking around and maybe it's that big, maybe not even as big as that. It's fortified. Um, It was in an area where the Jericho was near. It was kind of considered an oasis, and it was near an area where it was uh, referred to sometimes as a city of palms. It was a it was a depressed area, and there was uh, plenty of water and springs that were coming in through the city. And so it was lush. It was green. It was an oasis. It was a very self-sufficient city. And so they would go through. And this was the kind of place that he was going to give them. Now, you would think. Um, if God was going to ease him into it, right? maybe God would give him something easier. But he now starts with the greatest of their enemies. The one who was ready. The one they already knew. They caught the spies when the spies showed up. I mean, how bad of a situation is this? But God says, no, we're going to go there. And God is pointing to the fact that he is greater than them. We have to... I think we have to really pause often and say it to ourselves, man, God is great. Okay, I gotta remind myself, God is greater than this. God is greater than my wisdom. God is greater than my obstacles. God is greater. God is greater than my future. God is greater. God is greater. And we have to understand that and have a deeper theological belief in God. And then it turns into generosity, it turns into hospitality, it turns into a life of prayer. All of those things come from the belief. You know, uh, just a few months I remember after, and I, uh, I think our brother Chris uh, went with me, he's the only one here, but we went to, um, to go visit Haiti on a vision trip to go, and we were going to start Project Hope and sponsor Um, the orphans who were displaced after the earthquake. And you remember the images from um, Port-au-Prince and so on that was all over the news. We got there, I think, um, five months after the earthquake, and we arrived there, and we had a chance to go through the city um, and see everything. And this is one of those places where what you see often, you know, usually what you see on TV and when you get there in person, it's not as bad as that. Right, um, I had a friend call me from out of state saying, "Dude, are you okay?" Like, um, this was yesterday. He's like, "Man, looks like all of Southern California is drowning." Like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "Yeah, yeah we're fine." You know, like, it, you know, yeah, it's not that bad, right? And they just pick on the same areas that has the uh, burned areas or whatever. And it's not that bad. Like, oh, the news made it look so bad, you know, and. Uh, But it's like that. But this place was the opposite. When I got there, the images I had seen, when I got there in person, it was far worse. And uh, we had a chance to see the rubble and see the kids and hear the stories. And it was really um, overwhelming to our senses. It was just the smell and the sounds and everything. I remember the first Sunday we went to the church there. And the church was, uh, uh, half of the church building had crumbled during the earthquake And so what you had was kind of half of the roof and the wall on one side, and then the other half, it was just the skeleton of the frame, and it was open. So they took tarp, and tarp is everywhere, right, blue tarp, and they just kind of covered it up and made church. And so Sunday we get there, and, um, you know, to my amazement, after the horror of what these people have gone through, um, I probably had 800 people show up to that service everyone is dressed immaculate for church. I mean, it put all of us to shame. Like, you know, I mean, no wrinkles. Their suits were pressed. And this was in 95 degree with humidity. No, we're outside and everyone is in and we're having worship. And it was over two hours and something minutes, right? And uh, uh, it was hot and sticky and we couldn't, you know, understand much of what was going on. Um, but... The, you could feel. And what I remember being so impressed by was that disaster that happened was great, but really what they were saying was, but God is greater. And you know, the the electricity would cut in and out for the whole two hours. And the, the worship leaders in the front were singing. They didn't care. Nothing fazed them, and they're singing, and I'm just I can't sing along to a lot of the songs I didn't know. So I'm just watching the people um, as they're worshiping. And, and I was so blessed. I was so humbled. For them, coming into the church and coming to worship, uh, I think for them it meant that, hey, God is greater than all of my problems. Because I'm wondering, where do they go after this? <laughs> where are they going to sleep after this? Um, how, how are they going to retire after they work? How are they going to make, but they came. And it was an image of God being greater in this way, that God is the one overall, uh, greater overall. And There's a quote I want to share that was shared in 1880 at the Free University of Amsterdam by Abraham Kuyper. Abraham Kuyper eventually became the Prime Minister of the Netherlands, and this is what he said at the university. Uh, Commencement, he said, there is not one inch in the entire area of human life about which Christ, who is sovereign of, of all, does not cry out, mine. Not one inch. That all of it is his. And this is really a picture of God saying that all of it is his, that he is greater. All of it, all of my life is his, he's greater. And so the war is happening now in this way. And so we have to pause and say, he is greater. My reaction is, since he's greater, I have to obey him. I will obey him. Now let's go back to Joshua in the beginning, um, getting ready for war, right? What he's expecting. You know, maybe God will tell them to go at night, and maybe they'll have this kind of strategy, and they have to dig through the bottom, or they have to find the weakest part of the wall, and everyone go through there. Or how are they going to? And he's waiting for those instructions, and the instructions he gets instead was for them to really is uh, worship. It was an hour worship service every day, and he said just watch. It's how the people sit back and watch as the priests go around, and it wasn't what he had expected. But he proves that God is great. Now, second thing we see is that God is faithful. Um, as we are now in chapter 6, we see some of these things. It's starting to sound familiar. When God is talking to Joshua, often he is speaking as if it already happened. Like, I will give you the land. This is the land I'm giving to you. And I will save you. And it, these are all, like, he speaks as if they are all done deals, but they haven't happened yet. And so we see that God is faithful. And so we can trust him. Right? God is faithful, so we can trust him. You know, in verse 5 and 20, it's kind of the, the um, sandwich of the story, right? Verse 5 is God's command to Joshua. And we see a, uh, this. He says, and when they um, make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout. And there's a little phrase, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. Is Telling them what's gonna happen. And then 15 verses later in verse 20, now they do as he says, and the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown, and as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout, and the wall fell flat, fell down flat. The same words, the same description. So the Joshua hears the words from God, and then he sees it happening exactly. He is faithful, and this is the picture we see here often. You get to Joshua, they're now going to go into the promised land, and you see, oh, this is, it's actually coming to fruition. What started with Abraham, uh, what started, continued in Moses, now we see it happening. It's happening on a bigger scale. So there's kind of two parts. There's the, the big picture of God's uh, fulfillment of the people getting the promised land, but on a, on a human little level, on an individual personal level. What do we see? We see Rahab being saved. Rahab is mentioned three times in this chapter. Make sure you save her. And Joshua goes to save her and protect her because she protected the people. Um, that we have to trust him. He is faithful in this way. You know, uh, uh, John Stott in his book, The Contemporary Chris- Christian. Um, he talks about how we ought to respond. What, what, what is trusting and obeying God? Uh, what does that look like? What, is, uh, what does that look like? And he has this, and I'm going to just kind of digress a little bit about this. He says, well, how, how am I going to obey or how am I going to trust God? Right? What does that mean? Um, how do I do that? And he talks about a radical commitment in these areas. Sometimes we, we put it way up there, and we, we can't bring it down. What does that look like every day as we're getting older? What does trusting God look like? Number one, he says it involves an intellectual dimension that we trust and we obey just in an intellectual way. He, and he says that the, 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 the intellect is the center, central citadel of our personality and effectively rules our lives. And so the way we think, the things that we believe, the doctrine we take in, the truths that we accept, Um, how we come to a judgment on these things, that it has to be centered around the word, um, that it is there's an intellect uh, involved. The second thing that we give to the Lord is our moral dimension, uh, that we have to be radical in a moral way. We do what is right. We abhor what is wrong. And we treat others in this way. So there's a personal moral aspect. Thirdly, he points out, is our vocation. He says there's a vocational dimension that our work is not a secular, you know, we often think it's a secular job or unless you go into ministry or something like that. But all of work is sacred. All of what you do is a calling from God. And so you treat it in this way, an uh, illustration that he shares, uh, that John Stott shares is about the, uh, the central cathedral that was built in the 14th century in the city of Coventry. And during World War II, this beautiful centerpiece of the city, this uh, cathedral is destroyed by the bombing of the Germans. Um, and uh, he talks about that, and he talks about the way it's built, but outside of th- the, the center really of the city of this cathedral this cha- uh, that was there, um, outside were um, these guild chapels. Um, Guild, you know, by, by their work, right? And so it was separated by work. And so the um, blacksmith's guild and the, the, the dyers' guild. And so what would happen is these people, as part of their work, they would come and they would have a time to worship kind of within their work area. It, it, would, it would be connected. And so they would have their own chapel. So all the, the blacksmiths would come and they would have a place that they could have chapel. But this was a place for blacksmiths or those who dyed cloths that they would come in and work in these areas and worship in these areas. But the thing he points out is they were all connected to adjacent to now the cathedral in the middle. And it was a representation of our work, whether it's raising kids or going to school or getting, you know you know, keeping up the budget at work, or whatever it is, whatever your work is, that it's connected to the center, which is now God, and how important that is. And then, fourthly, uh, John Stott talks about a social dimension, right? How we deal with others, how we deal with the, those who are struggling or how we show hospitality to others or how we treat those who we might consider enemies before or how we love our friends. All of our social aspects. So our obedience to God is lived out in these very practical ways. um, and, And and spelt out in this way. And so we see man, God is this way. God is faithful. God keeps his promise. You can imagine Rahab and her family and the sigh of relief, the tension that was there as now these horns keep blowing every day and it's almost like an alarm, right? And the nerves, they're waiting each day. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? And then as the wall starts crumbling down, they become saved. And they realize God is the one who is faithful. And we all have to remember that God is faithful to you. God is faithful to me. He keeps his word. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come from me. That I can walk with God. He's with me. And he will take me home. Um, that prompts us to trust him. Because his word will come true. I will trust him in this way. And thirdly, we have to understand is... Um, this idea of that God is with us, so just be still. It's okay just to be still. God is with us. God is with you. Would you take that truth home that God is with me? It's okay. You know, just by saying that, God is with me, doesn't that just kind of, ah, you know, like kind of take some of that tension out already? It's okay. God is with me. God is with us. Um, The chapter closes by saying this in verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. The Lord was with Joshua. So on a personal level, he said, he was with me. It's interesting, right? Because um, he tells them, for six days you're going to march around. The priests are going to march around and blow these horns. Everyone else, stand off to the side. No talking, zero talking. No chants, no cheers, no songs, nothing, just quiet. Can you imagine sitting there, and you're like um, ready to go to war, and you're just sitting there, and you cannot talk? Imagine the thoughts that are going through your mind, over and over, you're thinking. And you're realizing as you hear the horn and as you see the Ark of the Covenant passing by again, passing by again, you realize, oh yeah, God is here. And it clears your mind that there is God, God is with me, that the Ark of the Covenant represented God, God is with me, God is with me. You know, it's often when we speak up and when we panic and we hear someone else speak up and panic, we often panic. We're human beings like that, right? You know, one of the, I remember someone showed me this, it was a prank shows, pranks that were taped in Japan. There's a whole other level in Japan, right? I mean, um, and then I got started. You know, you go down, then all these related videos, and I watched all, you know, a thousand of them. Oh, they were great, you know. And one of, the best one that they had is they show a man, businessman after work, he's walking down the street um, in this, like, residential area. And then they have hidden cameras, and then they have, like, a hundred people. As he's about to turn the corner, a hundred people it looks like they're running for their lives. They run around the corner screaming, and so they focus on the guy. And now everyone is screaming and running by, and then he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know what to do. You know what he does, right? He turns around and he runs with them like he doesn't know why, and he is running with them. And they, they kept doing things like that, and, and you know, I kept watching it over and over, trying to show my wife, and she thinks it's not funny. You know, <laughs> she's like, "Can you, you know, grow up?" You know, like, "No, this is so good." You know, and. Forget it. i show my daughters and they don't think it's funny, but I thought it was funny. But really, the human nature. You can imagine if they're sitting there and one of them says, like, oh man, how are we going to get over that? They have the mighty men of valor there. The king already knows we're coming. Our spies got caught. What are we going to do? You know, We're just, pet, you know, we're wanderers. We're not warriors. What are we going to do? How are we going to get over that wall? And they start talking. You could imagine what would happen, but God purposely told them to just be quiet and to wait. And there's something about that. I think it is um, so helpful to all of us. You know, I love when we come and we worship together and we gather in a corporate setting and we worship with our church. And we sing these songs and we hear these sermons. Could you get a better experience individually on your own?: Yeah, you could, probably. Now with the, the way the Internet is, there are fabulous preachers, and whatever topic you want to hear, you could just push it. And you want to hear about, "Do not worry," they'll talk, tell you about "Do not worry." You want to hear about how to get along with your spouse." and it'll be, it'll be so much better. And the music is produced with professional musicians. You, But the joy that comes of sitting together as God calls us to be now this body of Christ as we come together corporately to sit quietly and just to listen and sing and pray. It does something for all of us and it helps us to listen to him. God is with you. God is with me. We just need to be still. So we can go back to Joshua and they say, you can imagine 30 years later, how did you overtake Jericho? Um, we just sat still. Uh, what was your strategy and how, when did you? We just sat still. We were still and we knew that God was here. God is with you. It's okay to be still. Um, he works through that. You know, in, in that same chapter that I shared. Uh, about what John Stott said, he talks about the tragedy of today. He says, "This tragedy is that still today, as in as in the Old Testament days, people often do not, cannot, or will not listen to God. The non-communication between God and us is not because God is either dead or silent, but because we are not listening." and how important it is that we sit and listen to the one who guides us along. Um, being surrounded by the many things often distract us. You know, there's a um, testimony given by Dion Sanders, right? Deion Sanders, um, arguably the fastest man to ever play football. He, he was so athletic, he played football and then he played baseball professionally. Um, and uh, he shared how the day, the night after he had won the Super Bowl with the Cowboys, uh, how many of you guys remember Cowboys winning the Super Bowl? That was many years ago, right? Um, um, that the night after he's in his fancy hotel room and he sensed a, a feeling of just emptiness, that this is it, he's, he won the game, but so what? So he calls in his manager, and he orders himself a Lamborghini to celebrate the Super Bowl win. And he's sitting there now thinking, I just got a Lamborghini. And he still senses a sense of meaninglessness in all of this, an emptiness. And in that quiet of that place is where he seeks out God. And he starts to try to follow him. Um, It is often in the silence. It's often in being still that we see God move and then we now praise him for those things. The picture of what our Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross where I did nothing, he did it all. He gave himself for me. We see that. Um, And then it affects us. It changes us. And so I want to encourage you with big thoughts about God. God is greater than me. God is faithful. God is with me. I could trust him. And I hope that every day would be lived out in that way. Let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you for these um, words from Joshua. A a story that uh, many of us would... um, we approach with our own knowledge and experience and we say, boy, this, this. How should, why do you work like this? Why does things happen this way? And it shows us that you are greater than us. Your ways are higher. Your thoughts are higher than us. And so we trust you. God, we want to follow you. We want to be humble before you. Um, And so would you teach us to do that? We have, uh, uh, Lord God, we have a long way to go. But we want to trust you in these things. So we thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.